My name is Stuart Mazell. I'm lead pastor here. It's great to see all of you here. Thank you for joining us, whether you are a, a longtime member or first-time guest. Thank you so much for joining with us today. Uh, thank you for those of you who are joining us online. Thank you, Westminster Presbyterian, for being the church that you are. I just had a conversation with someone out in the narthex today about just how it, this is a special church. We're not a perfect church. We're not maybe the greatest church in the world or anything, but this is a very good church, and I am so very thankful for each and every one of you who has uh, contributed to the ministry here and who have uh, actively pursued Christ, which is uh, what we're called to be and to do. As uh, uh, we're going to continue on in the, service, in the series that we have started a few weeks ago called Life Together. Uh, we are doing this in conjunction with the Sunday school class that I'm doing uh, on Sunday morning, starting again next week, talking about vision, where we're going, wh what we need to do to get there, and that sort of thing. So I invite all of you, if you are interested in hearing where we believe the Lord is taking us as a church, please come and be a part of that conversation. It would be good for you, good for us. I think we'll be able to move along together. Uh, in this series that we've been talking about, we've learned a few things. First of all, several weeks ago, we, we learned that Christ calls his people uh, to be in community. And we're not called to be Lone Ranger Christians. We're not called to be out there all by ourselves. We are called to community because we belong to each other, because we're the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We belong to him. And because we belong to him, we belong to one another as the body. Uh, we've also seen that we need one another. I need you and you need me and the people on this side, they need the people on that side, etc. cetera. Uh, our witness to the world around us is best seen in community when we act as one body. And then we also learned last week that we're called to learn together. Uh, we're not just to like show up on Sunday morning and hear from the pastor, but we're also to learn from one another throughout the week at other times that we're to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. And we learned that from Colossians 3. Today, we're going to be talking uh, about investment. And so I would love for you, if you would like to turn in your own Bible to 1 Thessalonians, or if you don't have a Bible or you would prefer to watch the screen, we'll have it there for you. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. Whether you have a printed Bible or you're looking at a screen in your hand or you're looking at the screens on the wall, this is the Word of God. And this is what he says. Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to the church in Thessalonica and the Spirit speaking to us today. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at, at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity 
or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others. Though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Let me pray for us. Uh, Father, once again, we are so thankful for your word. It is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. It is truest truth, truth that changes us from the inside out. It's truth that you send out and it will accomplish what you send it out to do. We are taught by it. We are corrected by it. We are rebuked by it. We are trained by it. This is your word and we want to hear it afresh and anew in a way that helps us to see Jesus more clearly, in a way that grows faith in us, in a way that produces repentance where repentance is needed, in a way where we learn to walk in a manner, to live in a manner that is truly worthy of the good news of Christ. And I realize not everyone who listens to this sermon, not everyone who is here today is a believer. Holy Spirit, would you be at work in them to give them ears to hear what you have to say that they would trust Christ for the first time today. And those of us who do believe that you would strengthen our faith, that you would grow us in what it means to be a follower of Christ and to be together as community. And Jesus, I want you to be the one that preaches to us today. I can say all kinds of things, but my words are empty and vain unless you are the one who is preaching. So will you preach to our, all of our hearts, mine included, today, that we would hear your voice and we would obey. We would hear the voice of our shepherd and we would follow. And all of this for your glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our one true God, for our good as a church and for the good of the community around us, we pray this. Amen. Now, I'm not much of a, uh, a financial investment guru or anything, but I have heard the name Carl Icahn. Anyone else know that name, Carl Icahn? No? Okay. Wow, I know something that other people don't. That's amazing. <laughs> Especially about finances. That's wow. Okay. He's an American investor, and his net worth is at $16.5 billion. Okay. He has more bills than all the ducks in the world. I mean, that's how rich he is. He is a rich guy. And you would think that with that kind of bread, 
Um, he must always make the right calls when it comes to investments. And if you think that, you would be wrong. Because even though Icon is a, a very successful investor, he, even he will admit he has made some bad investments. Want to know what his worst investment was? Blockbuster video. Now, for those of you under a certain age, Blockbuster Video was this place that you would go to rent movies for your VCR. It had these tapes, these gigantic tapes that you would stick into a VCR and you would actually watch it on screen and you had to rewind it before you took it back. There was no streaming service. You couldn't just watch things on your phone. You had, on Friday night, you would go to Blockbuster Video and rent your video. And that's how you watched your movies. Now maybe some of you can see why that was not a great investment. I think there's only one Blockbuster left in the whole United States. So sometime in the mid-2000s, he uh, invested a lot of money in Blockbuster. And in 2010, Blockbuster had filed for bankruptcy. How much was his loss? Just how bad of an investment was this? He lost, now hold on to your seats, he lost $191 million in that investment. $191 million. Now, if you're like me, I have a hard time like, uh, visualizing just how much money that is. So I did some thinking and some calculating Imagine there's a giant warehouse containing 191 million Twinkies, all right? You know what a Twinkie is? Can we have the image? There you go, that's a Twinkie, if you don't know what a Twinkie is. Imagine a warehouse with 191 million Twinkies, and a friend of you, triple dog dares you that you couldn't eat all 191 million of those Twinkies, and you say, you're on. I can do at least 20 a day. And so you go to the warehouse and you start chomping down on 20 Twinkies a day. How long would it take you to eat all 191 million Twinkies? It would take you 26,000 years to eat all of them. That's how much 191 million is. If, if the Twinkie thing doesn't do it for you, think about it this way. If you had literally $191 million in $100 bills stacked up in your office and you think, man, I'm so rich I can burn money, so I'm going to take $100 bill every day and light my cigar with it, like so. I did not do this, by the way. That is an image I got offline, uh, online. So, I said offline, that's so terrible. Okay, so if you took $100, $100 bill every day for the rest of your life, how many years would it take for you to burn up $191 million? Any guesses? 5,000 years. 5,000 years. That's how big $191 million is is after losing $191 million, it's no wonder that Icahn said to Business Insider that Blockbuster was, quote, the worst investment he ever made. 
Now, most of us don't invest like he did. And even if we do have a bad investment, it's not going to cost us $191 million. But it does lead me to ask the question, what kind of investments do we make? And not just financial. If we think about it, every single one of us has a limited amount of time, a limited amount of money, a limited amount of energy. Where are we investing that money, that time, that energy? And are the things that we are investing in, are they good investments or are they bad investments? It's a good question for us to ask. And today, what we're going to be talking about is how do we know what a good investment is? Not, again, not just financially, but talking about eternal investment. And so today we're going to talk about how Christ followers are called to invest in one another. And that's a good investment. Christ followers are called to invest in one another. Where do we see this? Well, let's take a look at this passage from 1 Thessalonians 2. I'm just going to walk through this very quickly so we can see the big picture. In verse 1, we read, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. He's pro- Paul is probably talking about Silvanus and Timothy, who he mentions at the very beginning of the letter. And, and they were traveling to Thessalonica. And on their way, they stopped in Philippi. And we read about that in verse 2. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of such of much conflict. Now, according to Acts 16, when Paul and his crew went to Philippi, they were dragged into the marketplace, publicly beaten with rods, and then they were thrown into prison. And it was after that that they went to Thessalonica and they were bold in proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And then verses 3 and 4, for our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any, uh, any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Here he's saying our motivation was to please God by giving you the good news of Jesus. The good news that even though this world has been turned upside down, that Jesus came to turn it right side up. That even though this, sin is full, this world is full of sin and misery and pain and death, Jesus came to rescue us from that. To take people who had been rebellious uh, sinners, enemies of God, and to make them family members, to make them friends, to make them a part of his kingdom. And so they boldly spoke of these words. And then in 5 through 6, he says, We never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. My interpretation of what he's saying here 
We, we really did care about you. Yet yeah, we were doing this out of motivation to please God, but we really did care about you. We, weren't, we didn't come with flattering words to try to butter you up, to get something out of you. We didn't come with this attitude of greed that, hey, let's see how much we can milk this congregation. We didn't come with this attitude of, hey, we want you to make much of us. We came not with those things, but here's what they did. Verses 7 and 8. We were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is an amazing statement. He's saying, we cared about you. Yes, we did this out of motivation to please God, but we cared about you. And so much so that we were like a mom caring for an infant. You know, as I read that, I know this isn't exactly the same thing as a mom caring for an infant, but, you know, there's a special motherly love, right? And, and my family sees this every time I go to visit my mom up in North Carolina because that woman will basically do almost anything for her little boy. I have to watch what I say. Because if I say, you know, Mom, I really like those cheese biscuits that you make. If she does not have any cheese in the house, she will leave the house, go get the cheese, and make sure that every day that we're there, we have cheese biscuits. I really have to be careful about what I say because she just wants to share her love to her little boy, right? And what Paul is saying is, it was like that. I want to do whatever I can for you, for your good. I want to share, not just words, but something even more important than just words. And that's really our next point that we're getting at here, is that as a covenant community, that's what the church is, is a community that's centered around this covenant, this new covenant in Christ. As a covenant community, we don't simply share information with one another. We do share information, but we don't simply share. We don't merely share with one another. We share ourselves. It's more than just words. Again, verses, starting in verse 2, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Now, I include saying this because I don't want anyone to hear me say something that I'm not saying. Okay? Sharing the good news of Jesus is vital. Talking about the good news of Jesus is important. If we take that away, we are no longer a church. Okay, we might as well just call ourselves a country club that doesn't have fun stuff to do. Okay? No golf. Okay, we do have a fellowship meal coming up, so we got some food. That's just the way it is, right? 
the gospel, the good news of Jesus is central. And if we ever stop proclaiming that, we have failed to be what God has called us to be. So in what I'm saying, do not hear me say that it's not important to share the good news. It is vital and important for us to talk about Jesus and what he's done. But if that's all we do, if all we're doing is sharing information, if all I'm doing is saying, hey, this is good news that Jesus died for your sins and rose from the dead, and that's all that I do, then there's a disconnect. There's a disconnect. Because as Paul says in verse 8, so being affectionately desirous of you. You you hear that language? We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, not just mere words, not just words, sharing mere words, but we shared ourselves because you had become very dear to us. One scholar described what Paul says this way. He says he committed himself, he committed himself totally to the Thessalonians rather than remaining aloof and uninvolved in their struggles. Think about that. If someone came to Sumter and said, I've got great news for you, and they share some good news to you, but then when you come to them and say, well, how does that apply to me? And they say, I don't know. I don't care. I just, I'm just the messenger. That's all. That's not really showing care and love. It, it's, almost, it's almost the exact opposite of sharing good news. Sharing good news is not just saying words. It is words and action. Now, mm, 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 mm. okay, so it's Presbyterians. You know how I like to pick on us. I do it because I love you. I do it because I love us. I don't pick on other denominations because they're not here. Okay? You're here. So we're going to pick on ourselves a little bit. It's easy for us to share words. It's easy for us to throw around theological terminology. It's easy for us to share Bible knowledge. But God calls us to share something that has value besides his word. And that is ourselves. If you don't believe me, then maybe... You might, since you're Presbyterian and, you know, you're very informed and reformed, you might listen to a guy like Jonathan Edwards. See, I'd love to, like, squeeze these quotes in somewhere so that I can say, see, I'm not the only one. Jonathan Edwards, in his book, Religious Affections, he says this, passing affections easily produce words. And words are cheap. And godliness is more easily feigned in words than in actions. Christian practice is a costly, laborious thing. The self-denial that is required of Christians and the narrowness of the way that leads to life doesn't consist in words, but in practice. Hypocrites may much more easily be brought to talk like saints than to act like saints. 
if that doesn't hurt a little bit, then I don't think you heard it right. Because every single one of us, the temptation is say words, but not necessarily follow through with them. My dad was a great example of this, and I hate, I hate saying this because I do want to honor my father. I do want to honor my earthly dad, but I, I still remember, and I tell my kids this all the time. Like, I remember him sitting in his lazy boy chair watching TV, and he was, he was a big cigarette smoker. I mean, he smoked a lot of cigarettes, like maybe a pack a day, just, you know, one after the other. And I remember I'm sitting on the couch. He's sitting in the chair. He's over there puffing on a cigarette, and he says, boy, because that's what he called me, boy, should never get addicted to these things. They're really hard to stop. You know, and it's, that's an example of do what I say, not do what I do. Now, it actually helped because I never wanted to smoke cigarettes. But in the Christian faith, if we are saying one thing but doing something else, the world around us is going to say, what a bunch of hypocrites. That's not the way of Christ. The way of Christ is we say words and we act on them because we love God and we love people. And we want to be caring and loving to them. In fact, that's our next point, that the investment we make in others is an expression of love. Look, Jesus says it this way. He says that everything that we do, all the commands that there are, it's either love God or love neighbor. Everything falls under those two commands. And investing in other people is an expression of love. Think about what uh, 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 6 says. We didn't come with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed. God is witness nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Again, he's saying we cared about you so much that we didn't come with trying to butter you up, trying to make you think certain things, trying to you know, manipulate you in any way. In fact, we could have come in and said, look, Jesus made us apostles, therefore you need to do this. And that's not what they did either. They didn't make demands. Instead, verses 7 and 8, they were gentle. There was a kindness, a care, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, being affectionately desirous. That's such a beautiful phrase. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. It reminds me of what Paul writes in uh, Romans 12, verses 9 through 10, where he says, let love be genuine. Not fake. Not put on. Not, oh, bless your heart. When in reality, when in reality you're thinking, man, you're dumb. No, let love be genuine. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another by showing honor to one another. That's the kind of investment we want to make. 
and the investment of love, the investment of loving others, especially one another, well. And look, here's something we really need to think about. Here's something I really need to think about. As I was preparing for this message, I kept thinking about, but what about those times where you make investments in someone? I mean, you're pouring yourself out for someone and they stab you in the back. Ever had that experience? Where you're just giving and giving and giving and the other person is just taking and taking and taking and then they're gone. Or you try to invest in someone and they just don't seem like they care. I mean, you're pouring your life into someone and they couldn't care less. Making investments in other people, it's vital and important. It's what God calls us to. And loving others in specific, tangible ways, it's not always safe. And it reminds me of this quote by C.S. Lewis that I have used many, many times. And I keep coming back to it because I need to be reminded of this because I can be that guy who pulls back if what I'm offering isn't received well. I know that about myself. And this is why I need passages like this. And this is why we need this passage from C.S. Lewis where he says, there is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrong and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, your heart, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations of love is hell. It's not a safe world that we live in. But Jesus has called us to love one another, to invest in one another. And yes, some of that investment's going to be great investment. And some of those investments are not going to have much return on our part. But as Jesus says in John 13, verses 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is the point that we were talking about a couple of weeks ago when I said... How do we show a witness to the world 
that we really do belong to Jesus. It's in community as we love one another, as we invest in one another, as we care for one another well. People take notice of that because that's not what we do today. No, we sit behind a computer screen and we make sarcastic remarks online. That's what we do as a culture. And the church is called to something greater, something better. And in fact, based on what this is saying, that we love one another as Christ has loved us, we need to remember that investing in others reflects the loving investment Christ has made in us. And if you don't hear anything else that I'm saying today, at least hear this. Please hear this. The loving investment Christ has made in us is priceless. Investments always cost us something, right? I have a retirement fund that I put certain, a certain amount of money in every month so that hopefully one day I'll have a, a nice little nest egg that I can retire on sometime in the future. But for now, it costs something. Now, most experts recommend an annual retirement saving goal of 10 to 15% of your pre-tax income, okay? 10 to 15% is all it costs, according to experts for retirement. What did it cost Jesus to invest in us? What did Christ's investment in us cost him? Think about it. He left the comforts, the wonders, the riches of heaven to live here in this messy world full of sin and misery, full of strife and pain and death. And he didn't consider equality with God the Father something to be ferociously held on to. No, instead, he was willing to give up his divine privileges and to become a servant. A servant who was willing to obey no matter what the cost. You know, there's this colorful phrase, um, you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. You ever heard that? The basic idea is you can't get from another person what they are not able or willing to give. You can't squeeze blood from a turnip. You can't get something from someone who doesn't want to or isn't able to give. But the investment that Christ made in us, oh, he was so able and so willing to give to us. He poured out His blood for us. He poured out His life for us. He gave us Himself. He was willing to take our punishment upon Himself at the cross for every kind of sin there is. Every sin that I have ever done, you have ever done, Jesus was willing to take that upon Himself so that He could eliminate that sin from your life and from my life. That's how much of an investment, how much it cost Him. He was willing to be mocked. He was willing to be ridiculed. He was willing to be abused for us. This is our Jesus. And even though He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He rules over all things, He was willing to be under the humiliation of death for a few days. Wow. You 
you know, we wouldn't think about investing in Blockbuster today, right? Because that would be a bad investment. But even though we are rebellious people, even though we're stubborn people, even though we're frustrating people, Jesus didn't think that we were a bad investment. He was willing to go all in with us. And he gave everything. And that investment has great returns for us. Our sins are forgiven. We've been given a right status with God, having the very sinless character of Jesus wrapped around us like a robe. We've been adopted into the family of God and we're called His beloved children. We've been given the Holy Spirit who resides in us and guides us into truth and changes us from the inside out. We've been given great and precious promises of the future where we will be made like Jesus where we will live in a new heaven and a new earth where there will be no more sin, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more strife, there will be no more sin, there will be no more death. And only love and joy and goodness and peace will abound. That's good news, my brothers and sisters. And that's the investment that Jesus has given to us. And he gave it willingly. He invested everything he had in us. And therefore he says, love one another the way I've loved you. Invest in one another. So if you like action points, here's your point for today. Intentionally invest in a few folks for, the, for Christ's glory and for their good. Now, let me say it this way. As I look around in this room, you're not going to be able to invest in every single person in this room. All right? If you're person A on this side, you cannot do B, C, D, E, F, G, and just keep going. You can't do everybody, but you can invest in a few. You can invest in a few. So intentionally invest in a few people. One of the best ways you can do this, and I know some of you are here, tired of hearing this, is a life group. Because if you're involved in a life group, you've automatically got some people that you can intentionally invest in. But look, if you don't want to be involved in a life group, I understand there are other ways that you can invest in other people besides that. But what you've got to understand is we all need to intentionally invest in a few folks God's glory, for Christ's glory, because of what he's done for us and what he's done for other people. We want to show that love, that goodness, that motherly care for one another. And maybe you're thinking, well, Stuart, I, I, I get it. Okay, I'm supposed to invest in another person. How do I invest? I mean, I don't have much. Are you, are you saying I'm supposed to give money to other people? Maybe. Maybe. But start with what you have. Start with your prayers. Start with sharing what you know, like we talked about last week. Start with just saying, I'm glad to see you here today. 
Start with whatever you have. And even though it may be small, eventually it will grow to be a powerful, wonderful investment with lots of return. God guarantees that. To to end our our sermon today, um, just out of curiosity, I looked at this uh, website that shows how much you would have if you, from the day you were born, you just invested a dollar a day. Now, a dollar a day doesn't seem like a lot, right? And so I checked it out. How much would I have if I had just invested a dollar a day since the day I was born? And I found out that I would have $727,000 if I had invested a dollar a day since the day I was born. And some of you are doing the math and you're way, well, wait, how old are you? That's just a dollar a day, and that's just money. How much more those small investments we can put in each other will one day reap a reward where we get to see each other look like Jesus. Wouldn't that thrill your heart to look at another person in this room and go, I invested in that person, and God used it to make them more like Jesus? And and let me say, you look beautiful. Jesus looks good on you. So let's invest well in others, folks. Let's invest well in others. Knowing the return on those investments is priceless. Let me pray for us that we'll be able to do that. Um, Lord Jesus, we want to invest well, but we... Sometimes we just don't know how to do it. Give us wisdom. But more importantly... Let us see just how much you have invested in us. That we would see the great riches that you gave to us. That you were willing to become poor that we might become rich. That you were willing to become sin that we might be the righteousness of God. That you were willing to give your life and rise from the dead. That we would have life eternal. Lord, by your spirit, work in each one of us that we would learn how much you've invested in us, and out of that overflow that we would invest in others well, lovingly, caringly, and for your glory, for our good, and for the overflow into the community around us for their good. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.